This is A Sound Purchase, a podcast that does a deep dive to explore iconic recordings. Episode 4, Devo's 1978 release, Q, Are We Not Men? A, We Are Devo. film suggested by our old flatmate Johnny for a movie night. I was sold at Luke Wilson because Luke, Luke Wilson is the star and I'll watch anything that man's in. I find him unbelievably hilarious. And the basic premise of this film is he somehow in a, in a military exercise goes to sleep for about 500 years. Right. You know, the classic kind of like, like Futurama man out of time sort of thing and that he's gone asleep for 500 years and the human race has procreated and procreated and procreated and eventually just completely dumbed themselves down right so terry cruz is the president of the united states mm-hmm. i mean this is a long time ago this is like 2006 or something he's uh he's as trump as it gets Except he's not a 70-something-year-old man. He's in killer shape and can do cool things like fire machine guns. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was researching uh, the topic for today's podcast, I couldn't help but just keep remembering that film. It's a very fine film. It's a very good film. It's one of those films that when it came out, it did abysmal numbers at the box office and no one really kind of paid much attention to it. Yeah, but it's got a bit of a cult following now. It's quite good. All right. Idiocracy, everyone. I'll I'll check it out. Yeah. Okay. So the film Idiocracy leads directly into the topic for today, which is the band from Akron, Ohio, Devo, short for de-evolution, a theory that suggests that mankind is growing more and more stupid as we de-evolve. What do you know about Devo, Jake? What's your What's your first impressions? Crack that whip! Ba 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 bam. That's the first thing that comes into my head. It's oh, come on, I think most people, if you say Devo, the first thing that comes into their head is gonna be hit it. Yeah, and that's what that's what annoys me. Well, it's their most popular song. It is, it is. Um not their best song by any by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly the the most successful. Yes. Jake, of course, is talking about Whip It by Devo, which came out a couple of years after this album that we're talking about today. Do you want to set the scene? Year is 1978. Phil Collins' face value is three years away. Something needed to fill that void. That something was Devo. That's amazing. <laughs> Although face value is terrible. I don't like it. No, there's nothing good on it. <laughs> the band, Jake, were formed at Kent State University. Does that name ring a bell? Kent State University. No, should it? Kent State University is a famous university in America for the massacre that happened 1970. Oh, Christ, yeah. Four students were shot and killed. Nine were injured. Of course, yeah. So two members of the band were present during the protest where the National Guard opened fire on student protesters who were protesting conflict, the Vietnam conflict. Mark Mothersbaugh, uh, in his short animation film California Inspires Me, claims that 
the event affected the band and that they felt as if they were not watching evolution but de-evolution, spawning the concept for the band's message. Joe Walsh was also a student at the protest, fun fact. His reaction was not de-evolution, but to pursue music and drop English. Oh, I, I could see how that would happen, you know. They, that's where the band was formed. Mm. That's where they met. To conclude that short film, California Inspires Me, it's good. It's only a couple of minutes long. It's a very, very short film. Mm. Mother's Bell proclaims, I never thought about music as writing a hit song. We were just reporting the news of de-evolution. That probably explains why Whip It was one of their most successful songs. I think a lot of people lost the meaning. And fair enough to them, Devo did talk about masturbation a lot, so I can see why you'd think Whip It was about that. Funnily enough, it's one of the few instances where that actually wasn't what it was about. No, although we'll, we'll come on to the topic at, at a later time in this podcast, I'm sure. Frequently, it's, it's a recurring theme throughout the album. Yeah. The album that we're talking about, of course, is... Q, Are We Not Men? A, We Are Devo. The title of the album is a reworking of a line from the H.G. Wells' Island of Dr. Moreau, or more specifically, the film inspired by the novel Island of Lost Souls from 1932. My school did the Island of Dr. Moreau. Did yours? Uh, no, we didn't. <laughs> um, well, maybe, maybe like the guys doing drama A-level or GCSE did, but uh, no. I thought it was like a rite of passage that every high school had to do a performance of it. Maybe in New Zealand, but um, none of that <laughs> kind of stuff went down in uh, at mine, at least. Maybe, I know maybe I just went to a bad school. <laughs> no, no, not possible. It's entirely possible. It's <laughs> well, regardless of that, even if your school had have done a performance of The Island of Dr. Moreau, mm. probably would have been better than the Val Kilmer and Marlon Brando film <laughs> version. <laughs> Oh, just throw man. that shade out there right now, yeah. Oh, yeah, that was awful, wasn't it? Um, <laughs> not Val Kilmer's finest work. Uh, I mean, it wasn't his worst work. No. But it wasn't his finest. I think we can all agree that Batman Forever was his finest. Uh, well, obviously. I mean, it's going to be that or Top Gun, isn't it? Or Heat. Oh, good old Heat. The film that's just like 40 minutes too long, but otherwise brilliant. <laughs> Always get to this midpoint in heat where I just get really sleepy. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Are We Not Men was released in 1978. Mm. I wasn't alive. I wasn't alive. No, it was recorded in Köln, Germany. Produced by Brian Eno of Roxy Music mm. fame. Well, we, we say produced by Brian Eno. It didn't really let him do very much. No. They were quite um, obstinate and very, uh, no, no, that's the demo. We just want that. Make that again, but better. Yeah, although having listened to some of the demos, like the demo of Space Junk, it's terrible. And you can hear you can hear a bit of Eno's influence. Would you like a fun fact about that? Come on in. Um, that was one of the few tracks they actually let him do stuff on. Like he, he actually had a full producer role on that song. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's why it sounds so much better. That's interesting. I'm of two minds about this whole situation because, one, you've got arguably one of the, well, now, one of the greatest producers that's ever walked the earth. Mm. Uh, Brian Eno, I mean, he's responsible for 
all of U2's good albums, and they've got many before people try and talk me down from that. They do have many great albums. I'll, I'll agree with you on that one. Talking Heads. Yeah. I mean, just even some of his solo albums, things like, um, was it uh, Sound After Science? Airport Music. Airport Music. Oh, man, I love Airport Music. Yeah. But here's the thing. Brian Eno is just, he's someone that's always pushed the envelope. Yeah. And it's awesome that Devo were able to secure him for their first recording. Well, they had they had people lining up for it, didn't they? They had him, David Bowie wanted to do it, Robert Fripp wanted to produce it, and and who was the other one, Iggy Pop? I think so. He was definitely in the mix, yeah. Yeah, they lucked out. They really lucked out to have Brian Eno there. And I'm of two minds about this situation because, like I say, he is so brilliant that you're going to make a pretty good record with him. Mm. But then I also kind of admire their resolve to be like, no, this is our sound. This is what we do. Yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bit for both. However, I would have liked to heard it a little bit more polished. But then again, that takes away from the kind of lo-fi. Kind of takes away from the de-evolution aspect of it, doesn't it? If exactly, it's, exactly. Yeah. it's moving forward, then it's not moving back. At the time, uh, the band didn't have a record deal. Brian Eno actually financed the entire project himself he did. for a bit off the back end. Yeah. So he flew the band to Kuhn in Germany to record and he he booked all the time himself, fronted all the cash for it, and yeah, the deal was that he'd get some profit off the back end. Not a bad deal for Devo, really. No, no. Yeah. Probably not not a bad one for Brian, to be honest with you. I imagine he's probably made more in the long run than he would have done taken a fee. Yeah, possibly. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how much money it's made over the years. I'd imagine a fair bit over. Well, judging off judging off how how expensive the record is actually to get hold of now, I'd say it's quite a bit. But that's on the resale market. Mm. It was wildly misinterpreted upon its release. Rolling Stone said, "For all of its idiosyncrasies, the music here is utterly impersonal." And the Village Voice said. In small doses, as good as novelty music ever gets. And there isn't a really bad cut on this album, but it leads nowhere. Mm, that's uh... <laughs> yeah. Well, hindsight's twenty twenty. Exactly. Mark Mothersbell, the singer-synth player, since uh, forming Devo, has moved into film and television composition. Mm-hmm. He has composed scores for Wes Anderson from his debut of Bottle Rocket all the way up to The Life Aquatic of Steve Zizou, as well as Thor Ragnarok. And he'll be doing the new Thor when that comes out also. I forgot he did that, yeah. <laughs> That's so Tyker, isn't it? I don't want anybody. I want the Devo lead singer to do my <laughs> score for me. Yeah. Although I'm still gutted because all of Tyker's films before that were actually done by the Phoenix Foundation, so... I was kind of hoping at the time that he was going to bring them with him. No, they would have to languish in obscurity for a little bit longer. Yeah, I mean... Relative obscurity. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of nice that Taika got to trade the Phoenix Foundation for the singer of Diva. It's not like the Phoenix Foundation can really complain with that, can they? No, not kind really. of like It's a bit of an honour. So, oh, I've only been replaced by one of the most uh, influential you know, exactly. bands of, of the 80s. It's fine. Exactly. Uh, he's done the music for the Lego movie as well. Did he? He composed the Rugrats theme. I knew that, yeah. The music for Skate 3 video game. I never played it. He did the music for the regular show, for the Tiger King documentary that's just 
blowing up on Netflix during the lockdown. What We Do in the Shadows, the TV show on FX in America with uh, your friend Matt Berry. And arguably his biggest to date, other than Devo, Clifford the Big Red Dog. <laughs> really? Really? He appeared on Yo Gabba Gabba as well. Oh, nice. I'm not sure. Did you ever see Yo Gabba Gabba? Uh, I, I think so. Yo Gabba Gabba. It's fantastic. It is fantastic. You know, occasionally Jack Black shows up, does some dancing. Mark Mothersbaugh shows up in pretty much every episode to do some drawing. It's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Mm. And the music is fantastic. So good. That's pretty cool. Did he have a product, music production company? I know he did a lot of video game. He was involved with a lot of video game music. Things like Crash Bandicoot, Jack and Daxter. Oh, yeah. I forgot about them. Yeah. Of course, there are many other projects that we've omitted that he's been in control of. Oh, that's bad. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's dad joke tier sort of segue, uh, which is fair enough. I'm fine with that. <laughs> so that leads us into the first song on the album. <laughs> Uncontrollable Urge, I know. I'm grasping at straws with that one. Ah, that's all right. Securely, actually, quite a post-punky song. Yeah. Quite different from the remainder of the album. Yeah, bar, um, bar. I think one of the other songs. It's it's probably the most commercial sounding thing on there. Um, yeah, probably certainly one of the most. Um, Maybe other than gut feeling. That's yeah. That's what I was saying. That's like the most yeah. conventional sort of other than gut yeah. feeling. Yeah. Um, but fantastic way to start it. I mean, something I didn't pick up on until I started doing some research into this. Yeah. Very similar to some Beatles tracks. Okay, go on. Yeah, you haven't got this right. No, I haven't. So the opening riff, so it's, it's obviously sped up fairly considerably, but um, I think I want to hold your hand. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, how brilliant is that? It's like, that's, that's incredible. Yeah. And then the other one is obviously uh, the other one they mentioned on there, and I thought this was a little bit more tenuous, was uh, She Loves Me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just because of all the years. She loves you. You said she loves me. Yeah. That's what I meant. But yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a bit tenuous, but actually that kind of works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It does. Yeah, yeah. My my first note, and you're going to, I know, I've put this to provoke you, really. <laughs> this is arguably the best opening song on a record. Oh, that is a... And don't you dare bring up Black Shark. <laughs> An album that we may cover in the future, but for now, we're not going to be talking about the darkness. You can't bring up the best opening to an album ever and not bring up Black Shark. I can, and I have. Second best. I'll, I'll give you maybe second best, but Black Shark. Oh, uh, no, come on. You can't. You know me, Jake. I like to, I like to think of songs. Uh, I usually contextualize them in my mind of like playing them live. And what would I do if I was playing this song live? And I actually think this would be an incredible song to play live. Oh, yeah. Because think of all those stabs. The you could have that lasting forever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, go off on your preamble. Get get all your politics out. This is not a political podcast. Hubber, I can see, especially absolutely loving that. Yeah. Sat there in his little kit's like, that would be perfect that would be like the perfect song and then once the singer's gone through their diatribe 
the ballyhoo. They can uh, they can just cut us back in with another yeah 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 It's an incredible incredible opening song. Yeah, I watched them perform it live on Fridays once again. Live on Fridays, people think Saturday Night Live was the was the jam for live music, but actually, live on Fridays, man, they had all the good bands. So, uncontrollable urge has been used in films like Wolf on Wall Street, although. More appropriately, maybe, Jackass. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of works on two levels with that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And obviously, as we mentioned earlier, Evo likes to talk about masturbation. That's that's more or less the song. It's just that's that's the that's the subtext behind the whole thing. There you go. Fun fact. Are you familiar with Devo 2? No. Devo 2 was a project that they did with the Walt Disney Company. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know this. And basically it was a bunch of kids who would play Devo songs, right? Wow, okay. As Devo 2. And this was one of them. Um, But they kind of, as they were working it out, someone kind of quite rightly said, well, we can't kind of have a load of kids singing a song about masturbation now, can we? Especially not at Disney. Not at Disney, no, sir. No. So they changed it to uh, being about having a craving for food rather overtly. How American of them. Yeah, so there you go. We'll get on to that. Don't you worry. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely coming up. This is not a political podcast, but it's definitely going to be coming up. What, American food? Yeah, American consumerism around food. Are you satisfied that we've covered enough about uncontrollable urge? I've just realized where you were going with the, the previous bit as well. Um, yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, you know me, I can't get no satisfaction. Double negative. Yes. So the second track on this record is a cover. And again, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this out. Two home runs. Track one, track two. Absolutely, absolute killer. I think it's the if not better than the original, it's certainly the best cover version of this song that there is. Obviously, it's very, very different to the original. I've um, got a one up you there, Jake. There's a lot of talk above Johnny Cash's reworking of Hurt by Nine Inch Nails being the greatest cover in history. I'm going to formally submit Devo's reworking of Satisfaction. I, I think I agree with you, to be honest. I think it's it's one of those few times where you hear a cover where it's truly transformative. Mm. It's even, well, Johnny Cash's Hurt, phenomenal. Beautiful. Uh, but phenomenal yeah. for different reasons. Um, so that's more the performance side of it and the amount of emotion. Not to say that the performance for Satisfaction is bad. As I say, it's more the transformative element of it, what they did with the music, uh, i.e., they just wrote another song and put the words to satisfaction over it. They even changed <laughs> the melody, even yeah. Yeah, well, they didn't. They didn't keep anything in the original song. Still credited to Jagger and Richards, though. Oh yeah, well, that's that's fair enough. And they're not Marvin Gaye stating this one. No, it was so different to the original version that the record company were like, "We're going to have to run it by Jagger." Oh really? So they did. So Bob won, and probably uh, Mother's Bow. And executive types went and played him the track to see what his thoughts on it were and if he was happy for them to put it out. And about halfway through, he apparently got up, started doing like the the Mick Jagger chicken dance thing. Said he absolutely loved it, and uh, and they were apparently apparently Rolling Stones were a really big influence on them. Really? Well, I suppose yeah. they were anyway. And I mean, the Beatles definitely. These the Devos, another band, uh, well, especially from for Mark Mothersbaugh, where he was watching the Beatles live on Ed Sullivan and decided in that moment he was going to pursue music. Yeah. The way I feel about this song, they, they've taken a song that's concerned with standards of commercialism, 
and mm. but the Stones version is very slick. It's very kind of revolty, and yeah. again, just just very slick, really, in the way that it it moves and the way that it sounds. Mm. But they've turned it into a really disjointed anthem for the loser. I said, yeah, well, I I think really changes the context of it. So with when you when the Stones do it, it's not like Mick, Mick Jagger's not getting no satisfaction. You know, he can go whatever <laughs> the frick he wants. And the reason he's not getting any satisfaction is he's done it too much and he's just not stimulated by any of it anymore. Overindulgent. Whereas with Devo, it's a case of like, it's just some loser who can't, he can't talk to women properly. <laughs> you know, that yeah. sort of well, thing. Well, and that's, that's the best thing about cover songs is when, when you get someone along and Johnny Cash did it with Hurt, uh, Stevie Wonder did it with the Beatles, We Can Work It Out, mm. where you change the context and you completely change the sentiment behind the lyrics whilst mm. keeping the lyrics exactly the same. I've got a quote here. Uh, This is again from Rolling Stones. Satisfaction, for instance, with its melody line almost completely erased and the lyrics delivered in a yelping, droogy chant to mechanical rhythms, at first comes across as an intentional travesty. A typical new wave rejection of the old fart generation. But what Devo is really doing is reshaping the old message into their own terminology claiming one of the greatest anthems of the 60s with all its wealth of emotional associations for their own time. It's a startling gesture, yet a surprisingly convincing one. That comes from the same exact Rolling Stones review where they also said that for all of its idiosyncrasies, the music here is utterly impersonal. (laughs) (laughs) Contradictory? Yeah, mixed messages there, I think. Can we take a moment here to just appreciate Alan Myers, the drummer? Oh, man, yeah. He's a machine, absolute machine. Yeah, I want to call him probably one of the most creative drummers I've ever heard. Mm. He's a human metronome, especially yeah. on Satisfaction. He does That's not speed up to. or slow down. Have you seen live footage of him? It's like, it's, it's the same live, just... Yeah, robotic. Yeah. In the best way possible, because that's kind of what they went for with their live performance. Yeah, yeah. Which, ironically, we'll come back to this again in a moment, but it's ironic because uh, it's, I want to say, inspired by Kraftwerk, but it's actually kind of at the same time. Yeah, well, you know, they were, they were big on their Krautrock, which took a lot of the same influences that Kraftwerk would have had. Well, um, Kraftwerk initially were a Krautrock band. I suppose yeah, they were, I suppose. Mikhail Rotter of Noi was initially one of the founding members of Kraftwerk before he split off to form Noi. So the remainder of the band allegedly restricted him from playing with two arms for a few weeks when they formed to wow. force him to simplify and prevent him from doing elaborate fills and so on, almost to like retrain him. Wow. Okay. So it's something that's not unheard of. I know a lot of drummers go through similar things. Peter Gabriel on his first three records band cymbals. Right. Okay. Just to force the drummers to be a bit more creative than less reliant on hi-hat beats and so on. Yeah. Live, singer Mark Mothersbaugh has been known to replace a few words. <laughs> I can't get no satisfliption, should we say? I can't get me no girl with suction. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think actually lends itself to what you were saying where they've reinterpreted the words and turned it into the anthem for the loser. Hmm. And then lastly, talking about uh, American consumerism here, he's changed how white my shirts can be to how wide my shirts can be. He's a bit before his time, this Mark Mothersbell. I think they all were, to be honest. Mm. 
Do you reckon they're religious? I think there was a lot of um, televangelists. Yeah. That's the word. I think there's a lot of that sort of thing in Ohio. Okay, well, we'll, we'll get into it. First note I've got here is how awesome is that surfy sound? Oh, man, it's great. Yeah, the, the great. clean guitar tone is phenomenal. Absolutely immense. Yeah, absolutely love it. I've put down possible influence, actually, for once in a lifetime by Talking Heads. Now you mention it. I was tempted to write that uh, Mother's Bow has like a Burn-esque kind of voice, but actually I think Burn has a Mother Bow-esque voice. Yeah. Well, I mean, they I mean, they would have been going, they'd have been contemporaries, really. They'd have been going around at the same time, wouldn't they? So they kind of got... Yeah, well, this album came out 1978. Talking Heads' initial album came out 1977. The Talking oh, Heads right. 77. However, Devo... We're already a touring band from 73, I think. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so they'd been around for a while, and they were playing at places like CBGB's, which, of course, was where Talking Heads' first gig ever was, fronting for the Ramones. So Talking Heads just just ripped Devo off completely. Yeah. Got it. And made a lot more money from it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not about the money, kids. No, 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 we do it for the passion. Yeah, the reason I actually say that it's a possible influence once in a lifetime is because of the religious imagery, mm. kind of being tipped on its head. And if you if you watch the video, especially in the performance, um, stop making sense and so on for once in a lifetime. David Byrne is doing what we could call some eccentric dance moves. <laughs> There's a YouTube channel called Polyphonic, and it's really good breakdown of songs. He does one on once in a lifetime. And he talks about and shows like David Burns actually taking the symbols and the gestures of the the televangelists mm. and reinterpreting them. So it gives it a bit more meaning. I kind of feel the same as happening with this song, although they're doing it more lyrically as opposed to physical performance. The next note I had was that they're trying to turn prayer into a new dance craze like Chubby Checkers, The Twist yeah. or The Hokey Pokey. I've got, I've got the same thing, something of a piss take that envisions dance craze like the twist but for fundamentalists yeah exactly although i'm gonna take some lyrics here you got the left hand diddling while the right hand goes to work so no uh guesses we've already covered what this song's about in the first song <laughs> uh, quite possibly although I'm, I'm probably gonna take it a little bit deeper here is that a comment on the clergy quite possibly i, I heard something crazy the other day like is 1998 the church actually recognized that galileo was right and the earth revolves around the sun. 1998. 1998. So, what, we'd gone to space... 30-odd years prior. <laughs> <laughs> okay, relax. Assume the position. Go into doggy submission. Is that a another possible attack on the clergy, or is that the do-as-you're-told mentality of parents? I think it's a conformity sort of statement. Um, in fact, in notes, I've got conformity in brackets of the elite. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, okay, yeah, the 1%. <laughs> Wash your hands three times a day. Do as your mum and dad say. Brush your teeth in the following way. Are they following mundane rules of society? I think it's sort of an odd thing of saying, kind of criticising not all forms of conformity are necessarily bad. We all conform to brushing our teeth. If you don't, they rot and you get a root canal and it's rubbish. So I think there's something, some kind of mixed thing of like, eh, don't be a conformist, but um, same time you should probably do some stuff that society is doing. At least that's what I I took from it. Uh. Well, I've put down this is the beginning of a negative running theme when discussing parental figures, and I wonder if their stance has softened 
on hand washing during the COVID lockdown. Uh, no, they're still not washing their hands in. Just wear gloves. Just change the gloves after everything. Boom, done. That would work. Okay. How do you wash your hands in space? Hand sanitizer? Like like a um, denatured alcohol? Maybe? Oh, maybe. Not not in the plastic bottle. Uh, well, you're in a pressurized thing, so I imagine it can be in a plastic bottle. What do you do when that plastic bottle's empty? You chuck it out the window. Well, why not? Space junk. Space junk. Some incredible drumming happening on this track. Very creative again. Cowbell, Jake. Cowbell. They do have they do have one. <laughs> really cool. Yeah, really, really upbeat. It's a bit of a bit of an odd one. It's, and as I said earlier, they actually let Brian Eno be Brian Eno. I think it really kind of shows a lot of the sounds and things that come through and choice of arrangement and instrumentation. Yeah. Really it's like my take on this one. It's it's just kind of about uh, people's rational fears. Irrational or rational? Irrational. Irrational. Okay. Do you know the likelihood of getting hit by junk from space? Of being hit by a meteorite? You are much, 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 much more likely to win the lottery and get struck by lightning at the same time. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, so obviously the song's about a guy, his girlfriend got hit by a satellite. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's like, just the best thing ever. <laughs> and and he basically kind of gets caught up on like, oh, bloody hell, right. That, that's a thing that can happen. And he starts looking into everywhere that space debris has ever hit. What, like Tex ass? <laughs> yeah. Pan's ass. <laughs> Complete with regional dialects just for Texas and Kansas. So yeah, uh, it sort of ends with him just not actually getting any better. It's just like she's dead, and I'm in a really weird headspace of being really scared of doing anything in case I get hit by space junk. Yeah, I've got down. It's an awesome satirical comment on space junk. Yeah, uh, or the excess of maybe the excess of technology being used for space exploration. Mm. This predates the band, but I I kind of liken it to the black humor of the Smiths. Yeah, yeah I, I, can see I, that. I find it quite uh, quite similar. In that way of like, it's very dark, but actually really funny. Mm. Yeah. Despite the same musical patterns being used in de-evolutional style, making it as simple as possible for consumers, there's actually a surprising amount of depth to the harmony of the song and to the sonority and timbres. Mm. And I think yeah. that's like you were saying, that's where Eno comes in. Yeah, absolutely. He makes it sound really awesome. What is literally just three chords, D major, B minor, and G major. He gives it some sort of extended chord vibe. Makes it sound really complicated, but it's not. I like the song. Yeah, it's one of my favorites on the album, I think. Yeah, I'd have to say I could probably leave Praying Hands, even though the clean guitar tone is really good. Yeah. The surfy vibe. If the Space Junk was third on the track listing, it would be a one, two, three knockout. And I say just how intense it gets as well as it starts building up. It's like, it's like, while still being a very upbeat song. It's yeah. Uh, and again, it's, it's discussing a dark kind of content, but it's still kind of upbeat and really, really happy sounding. Well, I've got no segue for this one. I didn't want to attempt it. <laughs> Did we do a quick disclaimer? 
the subject matter for the next song is no joking matter. No jokes. Right. Mongoloid. Often misjudged as a song poking fun at people that have Down syndrome. But actually, the song is about a man who has Down syndrome, although within a de-evolutional world, he leads a normal life. Mm. If they were doing a pamphlet, this would be, you know, on there saying, this is what life is like in a devolved society. Yeah. Uh, like that guy with Down syndrome. No one notices. No one cares. He lives his life normally. Nobody cares. You know, the people who do just kind of point it out and, and mock him for it, well, they're the, you know, they're the ones who end up being ostracised. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's a play on the whole, like, ignorance is bliss motto, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The lyrics are, Mongoloid, he's a Mongoloid, his friends were unaware. Yeah. I think the Mongoloid is arguably the most aware of the citizens in the society, and he's aware of his syndrome, yet he fits in so well with his supposed smarter friends that they can't tell. Yeah, exactly, which is what an ideal society would be like. Absolutely. Realistically, I mean, sadly, we don't live in a society like that. Um, I don't know if we ever will. I guess they're they're getting to the point where they're almost saying that if you are judging someone like this, you're not smarter than them. You're actually worse off than them. So in its own way, it's kind of like a it's a song that's holding them up as members of society. Mm. Musically speaking, it features a use of the motoric beat. I put down as perhaps a tip of the cap to German krautrockers, Can, Kraftwerk, Neu, etc. Given that this was recorded in Germany, they were probably exposed to that music. And actually, Kuhn isn't that far away from Dusseldorf, where Neu and Kraftwerk were from anyway. Well, so. the, the guy who owned the studio was a guy called Connie Plank. If you're familiar with Connie Plank, he's, he was quite a big player in in the 70s krautrock scene. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. There's also the use of the mini Moog, which Mark Mothersbaugh claims to have owned one of the very first in production. I'm surprised by that. I'm, I would have thought it would have gone to... I say student loans, yo. Yeah, yeah. He's not on the good stuff. George Harrison's also made that claim as well. I, see, I'm more, in, I'm more inclined to believe George Harrison. Well, yeah, given that they used it in 1969 for Abbey Road. Yeah. But still. Does he mean he was the first to use, one of the first to use it, but actually it was Brian Eno's? <laughs> Something like that. Oh, I didn't think... Or did no, he say he was I, actually no. owning it? Maybe I I, I kind of have the impression that maybe he owned one. Oh, fair enough. Yeah, um, I've looked up some of the stuff that Connie Plank did. Okay, so he oversaw recordings such as uh, Clusters Cluster Seventy One, Noise Self Titled Debut, Craftworks oh, cool. Autobahn, Oh, and Harmonious Deluxe. There we go. So yeah, he was a fairly important producer within the crowd scene, and it was his studio. I'm not surprised that his studios in Köln. I have it on good authority that Kuhn is quite the cultural capital, especially around festival season, end of winter. That's all the notes I have for that one. Yeah, that's... I think it's a good, solid song. Yeah, it's a good, solid song. I mean, it's, it's not overly, you know. Yeah. And, and as we say, unfortunately, some people just see the word or hear the word mongoloid and assume that they're attacking people with Down syndrome. Yeah, which again, we're going to state quite clearly on this podcast is so far removed from the truth. Mm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So, the mission statement of the band, uh, yeah. Jocko Homo. Yeah, it's basically uh, basically their theme tune. Basically, and that's, that's what the band themselves have claimed, actually. It is yeah. their theme tune. Uh, Jocko uh, Homo is said to literally mean monkey man. Yeah. 
The song yeah. derives from an anti-evolution tract, Jocko Homo Heavenbound by B.H. Shaddock. I guess it might just be Shaddock. This uh, tract is considered to be the Old Testament of Devo. I've put a link in the show notes. I've got, I've got a copy of it online. And I believe on the cover of it, the, there's a picture of Satan who's showing the stairway to heaven. And on each step is things like infidelity and all the sins of man. But across his chest is de-evolution. Right, okay. I think this is where they really started to solidify their mission statement. Mm. Uh, it was originally released as a B-side to their first single, Mongoloid, way before this album was recorded. It's part of a short film, wasn't it? Part of a short film, yeah. I, I thought I had it written down, but I didn't. What was it called? The Complete Truth of De-Evolution. I assume that was the first use of it. I didn't, didn't realise it was a B-side. I think that came out as a reaction to the film. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, yeah, see yeah. I see. I think it's quite fitting, actually, that as it was a B-side to Mongoloid, it directly follows Mongoloid on the album. Yeah. I think that's quite cool. The band is asking us, apparently, are we not men? Uh, we are Devo. And there is a hypnotic response of we are Devo that seems more like a brainwashing exercise. Mm. Sounds like they're literally brainwashing the band, brainwashing everyone around. Because I can imagine at concerts you get a lot of people going, we are Devo. Yeah, apparently they do a lot of call and response sort of thing. Yeah. But apparently they, apparently they always have with this song. And back when they were a bunch of scrubbers that no one cared about, everyone was just like, what's this arty crap? You know, they'd be like, are we men? And then they'd do the mic out to the crowd and they go, whatever, whatever insult you want to throw on top of that, you know. Like apparently at one point, one time they were doing it and as they were doing it, they, they just had all their gear unplugged and they were basically booed off stage. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so... Oh, to be in a in a small time touring band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In Ohio. In Ohio, I think this is uh, further implemented the the whole brainwashing theme at the end when they're chanting, "We must repeat, we must repeat, we must repeat." I think they're really hitting that one home. I like the wordplay on uh, monkey business in the line, "Monkey men all in business suits." <laughs> That's quite good. We wear suits to appear civilized, obviously, and evolved. But at the end of the day, we're still an offshoot of the Simeon race. Funny enough, a name floated for one of my very first bands, Simeon Invasion. Ah, neat. Better than the stuff we used to come up with. I was, I was going to say as well, I like how straight you were saying the, um, about the repeating. Like, the way he actually does it is um, it's, it's really, how would you say it? It's like, we must repeat, as opposed to just going, we must repeat. We must repeat. Yeah. Like, we must repeat. There's a there's a line, God made man, but monkey supplied the glue. I've got two notes for this. It could mean God couldn't create man without the genetics from the sapiens. Mm -hmm. Or God only created man after the monkey gave him some glue to huff. I saw it more as God created the monkey, monkey created man. That was my take. That's, that's a good thing about things like this. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. I kind of like to think of the image of God huffing glue to create men. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Just sat there. You're sounding very paranoid there, Jake. Gotta stop these segways, <laughs> man. You gotta stop. There's too much paranoias. There's too much paranoias. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Fast Food Wars, the song. Mm. I uh, I like the pedal drone in this song, especially the mm. boom. Bom, bom, makes me really paranoid. Yeah, 
Oh, it's just so it's just so dissonant. Um, like I I worked out it's something like a flat six that he's playing. Okay, and it's it's just really oh, it makes you on edge. Mm. That's the whole point of it, right? Yeah, well, it's expanding on the whole consumerism and mm. how it's sort of like a an antithesis of what the evolution's about. Mm. It's basically the, the songs of war between McDonald's and Burger King. Yes. That's basically it. Is this the one that brings up Big Mac? It is. Big Mac Attack. Big Mac Attack. It's just sort of them trying to ham home the whole advertising slogan thing. And then isn't it Big Mac Attack, but you can have it your way, which is the Burger King thing. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, Big Mac Attack, I think, comes beforehand. It's like, if you want a special order, please step to the side and wait half an hour, which if you've ever ordered like a burger without like without the pickles or something from McDonald's, you know it's true. Yeah. Whereas uh, with Burger King, it's like, oh, have it, how do you want it? It's just like, you tell us, it'll be fine. We'll get it to you and it'll be perfectly adequate, but the chips will be rubbish. Put it out there, Burger King chips, worst fast food chips. Sorry, fries. Don't at me. Is this a possible reference to the Sex Pistols? Holidays in the sun, there's too much paranoia? Well, maybe. I didn't picked up on that. Allegedly, the band played an entire show in Sex Pistol matching Sex Pistols t-shirts. Because <laughs> of course they did. Of course they did. Yeah, because why not? I hadn't considered that actually. I've got a gut feeling that they did. Quite possibly. Like I said, I was I was kind of more focused on the like I said, the consumerism, the evolution aspect of it, the the breakdown that the that he seems to have like part way through, which is just kinda of like it's just too much, right? Brain shutting down now. Yeah. It's no, 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 we're done. And then it comes back in with, you know, Big Mac attack. And uh, it's like advertisers been like, even when your brain shuts down, the advertising's there. Yeah. You know, it's just it's entrenched. You know it though. As soon as you hear a jingle, you're instantly taken back to like being five years old <laughs> in front of the telly, waiting for whatever show to come back on. I mean, it's it's the whole um, thing of like if you hear the start of you know like washing machines live longer with, and then someone has to say cow gone. You know, it's I don't know if you had that jingle in New Zealand. That no, was we, we didn't. Had, we we had didn't. Over no. here. But I'm I'm ruined for things like uh, there was an advert. Some car company was using Rome by the B-52s. Oh, nice. So now whenever I hear that song, I just see images of cars driving through like these beautiful, serene <laughs> ravines and so on. Advertising, man, it sucks. I think Bill Hicks said, uh, if you work in advertising, kill yourself. <laughs> <laughs> he's kind of right. Yeah, he's, he's pretty yeah. right. <laughs> Nowadays, I stream most of my television. I don't watch live television, but occasionally when I do, I'm just blown away by the stupidity of the adverts. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I haven't had, do you know, I've not had a television license since I was living with my mum. So therefore, you've never had a television license. Your mum no. had one. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? I've not been in a house with one. So yeah, when yeah. I moved in with my dad, he never had one. Just didn't watch telly. I forget where we were going with this. Adverts, rubbish. American uh, television, lots of adverts. Dominals. There you go. There's another <laughs> advert for you. Bringing it back full circle, Terry Crews. Okay, right. The old Spice adverts don't count. <laughs> or maybe they count more than ever. Can you name the original old Spice guy? No. No, neither can I. No. There's only one old Spice guy that, that matters, and that's Terry Crews. Uh, any advertising that's not old Spice or for the Super Bowl, bad. Oh, and the long, long man adverts. <laughs> okay, don't even get me started. <laughs> well, anyway, advertising is bad, people. Advertising is 
bad? Or is it just the way that things are advertised that's bad? Advertising is bad, people. <laughs> I've got a gut feeling, Jake, that you're not following me on this. Ah, oh, I I feel like this has got to be the last one. You can't have one for the next one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna stick this out. Uh, gut feeling uh, is like the most misplaced song on this out. It, it's got no place on this album. It's it's just a breakup song. Fantastic lyrics. Um, something about the way you taste makes me want to clear my throat. Oh, that is good. That is so good. That is such a good line. That's so nasty, isn't it? Like so yeah. angry and bitter. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's brilliant. But it it's completely off theme with everything else. Yeah. So it's just like, well, well, okay, right, all right. And as we was like we said before, it's like the most just like, oh, it's just is the standard chord progression. It's just a just a song. Which is fine. Literally is a standard chord progression. I uh I used to always go by the E to G to D to A major chord progression. That was pretty much all my choruses when I was twelve years old. Well, if, you know, cowboy chords. Everyone loves them. Um you can't go wrong with them. Jack White's made a career out of them. Yeah. Um, no. As have a lot of people. Yeah. Well you've Look, you've already touched on the lyrics, and I had another pun there that I had a gut feeling the lyrics are not as simple as they sound. They can't be. Not with Devo. Devo doesn't do simple. They do deep, complex. But I think you're right. I think it's just a, man, I've broken up with someone. I'm going to write a song about it. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. Um, But not on your political manifesto. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) I, I have a gut feeling, Jake, that we're both wrong. And much like Transformers, there's more than meets the eye. Are we somehow segueing into Slap Slap Your Mummy? No. Or are we counting that as the same song? There's, no, no, no. Uh, I've got to I've got to lay it down here, Jake. Right. This is the only case. This is another reason for this song not being on this album. As brilliant as this song is, it's the only case of speeding up drumming. Oh. If you listen to the start, the tempo on the guitar is so much slower than when the vocals enter. You can hear them speeding up. So whilst Jake is listening out for the speed up. Takes a while. <laughs> I'm just going to say that there's a fantastic building of layers that build mm. to the crescendo and climax of, of the introduction, breaking through with the vocals. And the keyboards sound, for me, really reminiscent of Dave Greenfield from The Stranglers. Mm. I really pick up that vibe on this entire song, even even the subject matter of the song, really. This could actually fit on a Stranglers album. I'm not sure if Brian Eno had the Hofner Sembele. That's like the signature sound of the Stranglers. Yeah. And I've uh, I've looked for them. I can't find them anywhere. I, I, I can't imagine there's a keyboard that Brian Eno doesn't own. <laughs> so, <laughs> But does he own a keyboard necktie? Didn't he invent it? No, that was, uh, that was Hansel. No, Hansel. No. It was Hansel. No, it Get wasn't out of Hansel. here. <laughs> he is so hot right now. Uh, what was his name? Mugatu. Ooh, Mugatu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was in Frankie Goes to Hollywood, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, very, very famous. Uh, I think it's most famous for um, originally the keyboard necktie, but then claiming that Derek Zoolander has got one look. I mean, come on. One look? I know. Uh, so back to gut feeling. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's that's what we're doing. I've uh, I've always thought that that would be a great song to do as a cover. Again, thinking thinking about things in a live music setting. Off this album, I'd have to say "Uncontrollable Urge" or "Gut Feeling" are two two really good songs for covering. Yeah, I don't think 
anybody in their right mind would be able to do satisfaction with as much no. conviction. I, I just, I think it would always come off worse. No, no, I'm with you on that one. Yeah. Once again, with this one and Uncontrollable Urge, like we said earlier, they are the two most conventional songs. So This is true. This is true. Kind of lends itself to if you were going to cover them. Yeah. Uh, of course, you wouldn't do a cover of either of those. You'd do a cover of Whip It. Do you know what my problem with Whip It is? And again, this, this ties into exactly this. Every band I've ever seen do a cover of Whip It, put buckets on their head, oh, yeah. and turn it into a bit of a bit of a joke, and they don't give it any of the same kind of conviction that Devo no. do. And it just it's it's made the band a bit of a laughing stock. Yeah, that's why I don't like it. That's why I don't like it. The song itself is great, but is it their best song? No, hell no. So slap your mammy comes in straight away. This is a this is a bit punky. Very punky. Uh, fantastic. 52 seconds long. Mm. Is it a reference to uh, rejecting parental influence? It's probably another masturbation reference. Let's be honest here. We've skipped over several already. Maybe. And that's all the notes I have for it. Yeah. Um, at this this point, I've, I've kind of, my notes get a bit scarce, to be honest with you. Yeah, so do I. So, all right. I, I'm interested to hear your segue for this one. So, uh, uh, hang on. Let me, let me, uh, let me give you a hand. I'm just Was that a masturbation reference? <laughs> Is that going to be the gift that we get out of this one? <laughs> yeah. Hold on, just let me give you a hand. <laughs> Jake Brown, the sound purchase. <laughs> oh, that was completely unintentional as yeah. well. <laughs> Go. Um, oh, so I was going to say, give you, you know, help with the segue, and I, I'm going to go now and get a drink you you were supposed to say come back jake not johnny i get what you're doing now okay well it's been it's, it's done it now i'm not doing it twice no okay well johnny be good yeah that's that's a, that's what some people think it's referencing yeah um because it uses some of the lines or i could say Go, Johnny, go, go, go. Once again, I like to take this one literally again. It's just about a, a rock, some, some guy made rock and roll music, went out in his car, in his Datsun, and uh, got hit by a semi. That's it. <laughs> I've put down uh, a de-evolution take on the popular rise of the rock star tale. Directly references Chuck Berry's Johnny Be Good, but unlike Johnny Be Good, which refers to the musician on the rise, Devo take a cynical route. And refers to the downfall. Ooh, that's very fancy. Fancier words than I've got written. Oh, here you go. Here's a good one. They're actively avoiding using common nouns, such as burger, as in too much paranoias, or car in this song. Or instead, they choose to bow down to consumerism and name the specific items. Big Mac and Datsun. Love the galloping hi-hat. Really hard to do. Especially at that tempo. I think anything, any galloping at high tempo is uh, on any instrument's difficult. Well, I guess it's pretty difficult for the horse as well. Very nice. Uh, they've got kind of like a country vibe to this song. Well, I, I guess if they, if they were going for like the Johnny B. Good sort of thing, it would make sense to have that more kind of country bluesy feel to it, wouldn't it? Yeah. And that's all the notes I got for that one. I mean, the only thing I found was was some people online going on about how it's somehow a reference to JFK, but I I can't work out how. No, neither can I. Um, but then he got killed in a car. Yeah. 
Uh, the only other thing I managed to find about the song was that in 2002, in a performance uh, sponsored by Nissan, uh, lyric was changed from jumped in his Datsun to jumped in his Nissan. Oh, okay. So there you go. So they bowed down to the to big car. To big Nissan. Yeah. yeah. God damn. Man. So you go, Devo, sellouts, don't buy this album. Rubbish. Zero out of ten. They're so sloppy. In fact, we could just end the podcast now. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> sloppy. I saw my baby getting. I, I'm I'm serious. That 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 was awful. Uh, <laughs> Another comment on consumerism: spending money on a car. They seem obsessed with spending money. It didn't go far. Is that a comment about Johnny crashing his car? Um, no. You want me to elaborate, don't you? I'm not going to. No, that that's all I've got. That's all my notes. <laughs> that's I've got um under the notes on here. I've got some question marks. That's sort of it. Yeah. <laughs> that's what's like. It's not the best I, track. Uh, no, if, if, you know, yeah, I, I don't know why they bothered putting it on the album. No. So really what they should have done is left that track out in the sun and just let it shrivel up. Just what you spend all week doing. You spend about a day doing the research and then six doing the uh, segue. Yeah, pretty much. It's the final song on the record. It touches on all of the central themes of the record, consumerism. It's a God-given fact you've got to buy in by the sack. American overconsumption. Here we go. This is what I was talking about. Greed, environmental concerns. It's a divine order. God-given. It's a divine order and an urgent need. Yeah. Parental relationships. It's rule number one. Living right isn't fun. Continually poking fun at needless parental rules. I know because I have quite a few of them myself. (laughs) Impending doom for the world. It's a God-given law that you're going to get small. Could be a reference to growing physically smaller as you grow old. Could be a reference to the, the status of the elderly in society. Also a reference to the shrinking knowledge of the human race. Ah, nice. All of which is done in a satirical, tongue-in-cheek, Devo style. All I've got is there's probably something about masturbation in there somewhere. And we come full circle. Come full circle. Fun fact about this one, um, they can't agree on who sang it. Oh, okay. Two singers in Devo. Yep. So one of them recorded uh, a track in Germany and one recorded a track in America while it was being mixed. Uh, And basically both of them say that it's their track that's on the album. Oh, okay. Uh, and the, the theory is that they've just forgotten who it was that actually, uh, whose track they ended up using. Well, fair enough. I actually, I wondered about their vocal sound because they've got quite a distinctive one. Mm. And I was surprised to hear that Space Junk wasn't actually Mother's Bell singing, although you can hear a difference in the voice. But I was wondering, what what is it that they do to the voice to make it that signature? Is it double-tracked? There's definitely some sort of reverb on there. I, I, don't, I don't know if it's like an intentional style that they go for. You know, maybe their actual singing voices, one of them will be like, hey, hey, yeah, I'm in Devo. But then they change it to be more like, Step on a crack, break your mother's back. They've definitely got the kind of David Byrne, Adrian Ballou, elephant talk sort of voice going on throughout the album as well. Yeah, which say feels kind of, feels kind of put on. Um, to be honest with you, but it does. But even I mean, even David Byrne at this point hadn't actually tapped into that voice yet. Into no, he hadn't gone full. Burn. He was still singing like Psycho Killer, but he was still singing actually quite well. 
Well, that leads us in then to the final part of the podcast where I have three questions for you, Jake. The first of which, on cue, Are We Not Men, A, We Are Devo, what is your favourite track? That is a very, very difficult one. Um, it's actually a really difficult one. From a, from a perspective of what they did with it, Satisfaction. You say it's probably the best cover song ever. Otherwise, um, I'm not sure. Space Junk. I'm going to Space Junk. Go and Space Junk. So you're tossing out Satisfaction and you're going to settle with Space Junk. I'm going to settle with Space Junk. Just a great song. How weird it is at that point. Dark and. No, no, it's not my favourite. I don't know. I don't have a favourite on this one. Gut Feeling has been my favourite since I first heard the album which would have been quite a while ago. I remember my dad buying this album and I looked at the cover, as most of us do, especially as children, and judged it by the cover, the book by the cover, essentially, and mm. thought that it was going to be some sort of kind of Cuban Buena Vista social club sort of stuff, and I wasn't into it. Fair enough. I was I was a very young kid, so I didn't have any reference for who the Rolling Stones were. I'd ne- this, is, this is the first version of Satisfaction that I'd ever heard. Oh, really? I'd never heard the original before listening to this one. Wowzers, that's a... So, Gut Feeling for a long time has been my favourite, probably because, like you say, it's actually one of the most normal songs Yeah. in terms of what you'd expect to hear on just pop music. Then there's Uncontrollable Urge, which is, like, one of the most perfect live songs, and I'm actually quite desperate to play that song live. Satisfaction's incredible, the best cover song probably in history, and it's criminally underrated in terms of everyone always talks about Johnny Cash. Everybody always talks about uh, Run DMC and Aerosmith as these great covers, but where's the love for Devo? But I actually think I have to go with Space Junk. You are going to go with Space Junk. I love Space Junk. Space Junk is fantastic. It's a good song. It's a great song. It's got the black humour in it. It's really dark. It's got the, the punky attitude. I like it. It's even got influence of Brian Eno, so it's kind of ticking all the boxes, really. <laughs> it's not one of the ones that they didn't let him do anything on. No, say it was one of the, uh, one of like two or three songs he was actually allowed to be Brian Eno. Exactly. Okay, so where do you rank this in the top ten so far? Uh, number two. So you're going to go Discipline, Are We Not Men? Wasting Light. And then Amy Winehouse. I'm going to have to start making a list of these. It's all at stephsquatch.com forward slash top tens. I'm going to have to put this in at number four. Really? I've got Amy Winehouse at number one. Yeah. King Crimson at number two. Foo Fighters at number three. And I'm going to slot Devo in at four. Not because it's the worst necessarily, but I think the other ones hold a bit more resonance in my life. Enough. And this album really tails off at the end. We said that in the last episode with the Amy Winehouse, but I don't think that the initial songs have as much power as her initial songs do to kind of keep you in the zone this album really begins to tail off later on in the album and it's almost like as soon as gut feelings done i'm not really into the rest of it that's fair enough i mean i can listen i don't, I can listen to the rest of it but to be, to be honest it just i don't know if i would listen to it though or if not, it would just be background sort of things i'm doing something else it's not like i'm itching for white limo which sounds like a heroin reference <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it's yeah, it's not like I'm I'm waiting to hear those songs like I am. Whenever I put this on, I want to hear uncontrollable urge, satisfaction, space junk, gut feeling, mongoloid. Yeah, 
Okay, well yeah. then the final question then. Is this record a sound purchase? Uh, yes, especially if you get it with the Devo Live because it has Girl You Want on it. Okay then. I'm going to say that it is a sound purchase. However, it's going for crazy money on Discogs at the moment to buy uh, to buy the LP of it. I don't think the LP is in print at the moment. Are they having a bit of a resurgence? Or? No, I think it's just rare. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the cover that we all have come to know with the um, – with the cover art of Chichi Rodriguez's portrait. Yeah. That is actually not the original cover. No. Well, it was in everywhere but Europe. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it was. And then the record, they were like, well, no, we, we don't have the rights. Or... Yeah. And they couldn't get the rights in time or something. Um, they've morphed his picture with people like Frank Sinatra and Dean Martin. So it's not actually a true likeness of him in an effort to get it Approved. But he did approve it, so eventually, yeah, eventually. Uh, but it was too late to recall all the other ones that they did, where it was just a picture of Mark Mothersbaugh wearing swimming goggles and a coat. Yeah, yeah. So, for instance, uh, my dad has been looking to get a copy. This is one of his favorite albums, but he refuses to get the um, the European cover because he wants to have the the yellow <laughs> iconic yellow cover, which is kind of fair is enough. It? I mean, you know. When you grow up listening to something and you look at the covers, you you don't want to get the horrible purple version of Dark Side of the Moon. You want the black version. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Just advertising, man. Just advertising. Quite possibly, yeah, actually. You could be right with that one. Uh, I, I've just thought of as well, actually, completely off topic, of another contender for best um, best cover. Come on in. Limp Biscuit Behind Blue Eyes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little ashamed to say that I heard that version before I heard the version by the Who. So, so, so did I. Yeah, <laughs> it's just because of the time, man. It was just because of the time. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's dreadful. Not the worst cover ever. I, I, I can tell you what is definitively, I think, the worst cover of a song ever. Was that Puddle of Mud doing about a girl? I actually forgot about that, so I can tell you what's definitively the second worst cover of a song ever. I've been afraid to watch it because I quite actually, I quite liked Puddle of Mud. Oh man, it is bad. Is it? It's so bad, yeah. I, oh my God. I, I, when, I, when, I was some, when I first heard about it, I was like, how, how bad can it be? Is it the kind of thing like where he, he, hits it, he hits it bad, but he's already committed, so he's got to see it through? Pretty much, yeah. It's ah, oh, it's 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 not good. It's not good. Um, the definitive second worst cover in history, Disturbed, Sound of Silence. Oh, really? Yeah. Have you not heard it? No, I have. I thought it was all right. I mean, it's not as good as their cover of uh, Land of Confusion by Genesis. That's awesome. I haven't heard their version of Land of Confusion. It's everything you hope it will be. What just what so planned a confusion but without Phil Collins. This was a sound purchase. A podcast that does a deep dive to explore iconic recordings. Check the show notes, an up-to-date top tens list, and other musings at stephsquatch.com. You can engage with us on social media under the handle Steph Squatch blog 
And you can find other episodes of A Sound Purchase at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and stiffsquatch.com.